Hello and welcome again to another edition of, uh, well, just our regular podcast. In fact, I'm kind of looking forward to this one. Uh, this is called Irreligiosophy, Layton. Sometimes I forget. <laughs> <laughs> Much like our listeners not speaking, really knowing. Speaking of which, we got two new reviews on uh, <laughs> iTunes. I was so excited. Yes, we did, except uh, until I asked him what the names yeah. were of them. All right, one of them was his ex-girlfriend, but that means we have one more review. But that's four reviews, so at least four people are listening to the podcast, right? Well, I wouldn't go that far. I'm sure we lost one or two along the way. They uh, get bored probably, after a while. It's probably true. Um, one of the guys uh, called us the most correct podcast ever, so I think that's uh, going to be our tagline for the future. What do you think? I really like the tagline. Uh, that Irreligiosophy, the one true podcast. <laughs> I think underneath that should be all other podcasts are whores of Babylon or mothers of abominations. See, I like that. I really do like that. Because they are just leading everybody else astray, whereas we are the one true podcast. Don't you think the mother of all abominations would be kind of hot? I would do her. Like a... <laughs> Like she'd be a MILF? Yeah, yeah, I have no doubt of that. Of course, uh, I mean, with that many children, do you think uh, you'd be able to feel anything? Do you think it's difficult to give birth to an abomination? <laughs> Depends if it has spikes or not. <laughs> Go and sit down and talk to her, you know. Did you, did you use an epidural or was this all natural childbirth? Well, abominations? Uh, those abominations probably came out during the... Uh, the Middle Ages, so I'm sure there was there was no <laughs> epidural involved, just a lot of screaming. All right, what's our podcast on this week? Well, actually, I'm looking forward to this one. This one is stumping the Mormon missionaries that come to your door. Or just having fun with them. We're, we're going to provide you various ways of either getting, a, because often when I talk to missionaries, they'll give you this uh, glassy-eyed, dumb, blank stare. Mm-hmm. That's our goal. Either that, or to get them out of your house in such a manner that they will never return, and neither will any of their. Uh, yeah. Now, companions. see, this actually works perfectly for Charlie and I because Charlie's wife had some missionaries over with us, and we asked them a bunch of questions. They said they'd get back to us, and we still haven't heard from them. And it's been what a year now. Yeah, never happened. They're both off their mission, so that unfortunately was a broken promise. I'm shocked. Yes. Shocked. Yes. In fact, the only thing they brought back to me was a crippled cat that I put down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, long story. <laughs> yeah, really long. No so, Mormon missionaries are um, males between the ages of 19 and 21, typically. Although they can, they can go up to 25, up to 25 or 27 because you can start at 25 and then right. two years, 27. Females are discouraged from going on a mission um, because they, their duty really is to stay home and get married. Unless... They aren't married by the time they reach the age. Correct. So if if you have if you're like an old maid at the age of 21, a fugly old maid probably. You, <laughs> it's amazing if you you live in Utah, you're a Mormon, and you're a female and not married by the age of 21. If you've reached that ripe old age, then they figure you're a lost cause, and perhaps going on a mission uh, would be okay. Yeah, maybe someone in a foreign country will take you because no one here will. <laughs> Or at least out of the state. Yeah. Now, interestingly enough, I mean, I don't think you were, but I was raised to be a missionary. In fact... I was not. Yeah. Yeah. Out of all of my uh, natural brothers and sisters, I guess, the ones that were born to my mother, not the adopted ones, I was the only one not to go on a mission. That's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you have no idea the pressure that comes from Mormon families... As soon as you start turning 18, 19, the bishop is pulling you in saying, are you preparing for your mission? Your parents are hounding you about it. And you just can't get away from it. Why did you not do your good Mormon duty and go on a mission? Why were you such a failure to your parents? Uh, well, that would be because I've had doubts for a really long time. And how am I supposed to go out there and spend two years on something that I don't fully trust or know? They'll tell you that's where you gain your testimony. You go on a mission to get a testimony. Yeah, I heard that bullshit too. It just didn't fly. <laughs> now, for the rest of her life, your mother cannot say, because they often will stand up in a fast and testimony meeting and they'll say, they'll pat themselves on the back. They'll say, how blessed I am that all of my children went on a mission and they've all married in the temple. And so that makes them like this really good parent better than the rest of them. Yeah, You well, are disgraced to uh, your community and most of all your mother. 
I don't mind. <laughs> In fact, uh, my mother brags about me with all the countries and adventures I have. So I think that's actually better than saying that I walked around for two years knocking on doors, preaching something that I don't even believe in. I suppose. Yeah, just a little. Yeah. All right, so they knock on your door. And they're, you know, fresh-faced, clean-looking, uh, they're wearing a, a shirt and tie, they have their little name badges on. You open the door and they say, hello, I'm Elder So-and-so of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Would you like to spare five minutes so we can discuss your eternal salvation? First thing I would ask is, where's your tail? I... <laughs> there is a... <laughs> <laughs> there is an urban legend, I guess, that Mormons have horns and tails. Um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty stupid, but uh, but no, no, no. The the thing I say at that point, get a big old grin, say, "Hey, let me get you a glass of ice water. Come in, sit down, let's talk," and that's where the real fun can begin. Now, if you want to get rid of them immediately, uh, rewinding to our previous podcast, uh, a good strategy would be, "Thank God you're here, elders. I have this problem." I looked up the internet and found out a series of 19 steps to help me. I've gone through all 19. Nothing's helped. How do I stop furiously masturbating? <laughs> the shaft of my penis is... Uh... It's blistering <laughs> with the amount of friction. <laughs> I heard you Mormons are really good at solving masturbation problems, so what's your advice? That'll get them running, I think. Yeah, that, uh, that would definitely bring an eyebrow up. Or... You stand there at the door saying, well, my mother's in the bath. She's kind of old, but it's okay as long as I can hear her splashing around. Mother? <laughs> Mother? <laughs> Your goal is probably also to make them as uncomfortable as possible during the stay. So you may want to invite them in and pour uh, some alcohol yeah. and serve it to them. Say, oh, here, let me get you a cold beverage. Pour them some whiskey, maybe whiskey <laughs> and Coke to kind of mask it. <laughs> or, or just offer them some Coca-Cola. Yeah. How would you like some uh, Coca-Cola or, or now, some, it's afternoon, so perhaps some iced tea, caffeinated of course, and uh, some alcohol. Now, margarita, so, can I get you a margarita? That's a two-pronged sword there, or two-pronged whatever. <laughs> Double-edged sword, Double -edged is that what you're sword, Because swords don't usually have prongs on them. Depends on the sword. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it can backfire on you because although most Mormons believe that drinking Coca-Cola and the caffeine inside of it is a bad thing, not all of them do. Therefore, some of them might actually say, sure, yeah, I'll, I'll take one of them. Great, give it to them. Then remark ab about the word of wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> really, I heard you Mormons couldn't have this, but I was just checking because it's all I have in the fridge. Here you go. Here's some, it's, uh, I've got some jolt in the fridge, twice the caffeine. <laughs> Um, let's see, uh, one of my, uh, uh, work associates, his wife answers the door uh, when she sees the missionaries, she takes off her shirt and answers the door topless. <laughs> <laughs> I actually do that, except I do it in my underwear. I had some missionaries when I was living in Hawaii, knock on my door at, it was like 8.30 in the morning on a Sunday, no, no, Saturday morning. I come rolling out of bed going, who the hell is knocking on my door? I whipped the door open wearing nothing but my undies. They didn't take long to leave. Yeah, um, that's actually, Mormon missionaries are not allowed to enter the home when someone of the opposite sex is the only person home. Yes. So uh, if you're a female and two male missionaries uh, enter the door and you want to be polite and you want to get rid of them, uh, just tell them that your significant other is not here or... Even better, your lesbian partner uh, isn't here to uh, enjoy the conversation. Or if you really want to see him squirm, say my lesbian partner is in the back. Would you come hold the camera? <laughs> That's good. I like it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, all right. So if you invite them in, like I said, try to make them as uncomfortable as possible. I would recommend uh, explicit sexual references. Um, uh, tell them a dirty joke as soon dirty as they get in. <laughs> Just say, hey, I've got a great icebreaker for conversation. Or if you've got a really racist joke, Ooh, you may want to say, yeah, I hear your your church would really appreciate this, seeing as you <laughs> waited until 1978 to allow blacks to hold the priesthood. Uh, hold, on, hold on, I think I've got a good racist joke. Oh, God. Joke. Why is it black people don't drive in convertibles? Jesus Christ. <laughs> because their lips would beat them to death. Jesus. 
Hey, it was one of my black brothers that told me that one. So that's something you tell that to a Mormon missionary. <laughs> I'd recommend watching the Dave Chappelle show for racist jokes. Yes, that's pretty good. It's cool. got a, a whole lot of them. <laughs> um, all right. So they're in the house. They're sitting down. A quick way of stumping them, I think, is to have them turn to the Pearl of Great Price. And there's a facsimile where, uh, so the Pearl of Great Price is, uh, we discussed it on a previous podcast. Yes, we it's a series of Egyptian papyri that uh, the church bought and Joseph Smith, in quotes, translated. And they uh, made the mistake of reproducing some of these papyri as wood carvings in there um, in the back of the Book of Mormon in a section called the Pearl of Great Price. So this particular facsimile has uh, a guy standing above um, another guy laying down on what looks to be a couch, and there's a um, hawk or an eagle or something floating around there. Uh, the guy's holding a knife over him, and there are these four uh, idolatrous um, gods, it looks like, underneath him. So Joseph Smith has interpreted this as an attempted sacrifice of Abraham, and they've got it all labeled for you. So you may want to point to uh, the various numbers. <laughs> Number one, you know, um, and you may want to just say that this is why this is why I'm not going to accept anything you guys say. Uh, what's that little bird? Number one, it's obviously the angel of the Lord. That's what Joseph Smith said. That <laughs> uh, it may be one of two things. Number one, it may be. The soul leaving the body, right? Is that yep. the car or something like that? The car, yeah. Uh, and the other, you know, an Egyptologist has referred to it as the soul of Osiris, right? Which, uh, by the way, should have a human head, not the um, hawk or falcon. Uh, number two. It says, Abraham fastened upon an altar. Which is actually um, the guy who's about to be mummified. <laughs> <laughs> and the great thing about this is... Egyptologists took a look at this and said, no, 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 that's all wrong. That guy should be holding on to his phallus. Yes. And if you look at the original papyrus, that section's missing. And so they filled it in. They think that this is the guy's fingers. But uh, his, his fingers ought to be wrapped around his phallus uh, down there Yeah, in the original Book of Breathings. And if you read into Egyptian uh, mythology, you would understand why he's holding on to his phallus. Yeah. So, uh, and you can... <laughs> I'd be sure to bring that up, too. How come he's not holding his dick there? <laughs> yeah, you want to see him go red, say, you know, I've seen some of these in, a, in an Egyptian museum, except they got the guy holding on to his cock. Which brings me back to my problem of masturbation. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that guy didn't have blisters that I could see. So, so yeah. what lubrication do you guys recommend? Uh, Vaseline what, just isn't working. What do you use? <laughs> Uh, all right, so number three. What's number three? Number three is the idolatrous priest of Elkanah. Where would he get that uh, He name? just makes this uh, shit up. Attempting to offer up Abraham as a sacrifice. No, this is actually the guy who's laying down um, to be mummified, which again doesn't make sense that his arms are up in the air. <laughs> no, 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 no. Number three is this guy here. Oh, wait. The knife. Yeah. Oh, I skipped it. Yeah. The idolatrous priest of Elkanah. That's actually the god Anubis. Um, and by the way, if you look closely at the heads, that's just the guy's head laying down that's been flipped over and put on this guy's head. They didn't know that Anubis is actually a jackal god. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I can see the similarity between a jackal head and a human head. I, I don't know why. Yeah. Um, I don't know why they put a white head on the black guy's body. It should be a black head. Well, maybe they figured that they couldn't put it in the Book of Mormon if it was a black guy. <laughs> So and he's not he's not holding a knife in the original one. Um, his hands cut off actually. <laughs> Maybe he's holding the guy's dick too. I don't know. Well, you know, gotta help shake it. Number four, the altar for sacrifice by the idolatrous priest standing before the gods of Elkanah, Libna, Macaroni, Karash, and That's not Pharaoh. Macaroni. It's pretty close. Elkanah, Libna, Mamakra, Korash, and Pharaoh. All right, so. The idolatrous god of Pharaoh is actually that little um, crocodile that's underneath the ground. But the other four, uh, five, six, seven, and eight, those are canopic jars, and they hold the organs of uh, that the guy, the, the Anubis, is actually person. removing. Yeah. Um, and those organs and the gods themselves, you look at this, it's, it's clearly easy to tell. The, the human god, um, that's number eight, uh, is uh, Imseti. And so, you know, what was it supposed to be, Libna or something like that? Yeah. Um, this is actually Imseti. He's a human god, a son of Horus, and he protects the liver. 
the baboon, which is next, number seven, that's happy. Uh, he protects the lungs. Happy, yeah, I like He's that. a happy, happy baboon. Yeah. Duamutef is the jackal. He's number six. He protects the stomach. And uh, Kebesenuef is the falcon who guards the large intestines. So these are not idolatrous gods. They're um, the four sons of Horus, and they protect the organs of the person who's being mummified. Uh, uh, why in the world would they be <laughs> underneath the table <laughs> of a sacrificial... Maybe to drink the blood as the yeah. priest cuts it. I have no idea. Yeah, so um, five is the idolatrous god of the that's priest. the crocodile right? down there. That's, um, no, that's, wait, this wait, is no, five. five. This is yeah. the falcon. Uh, okay, yeah, we've already gone through all of those. So right now we're on nine, which is the idolatrous god that's of the Pharaoh. So he couldn't even really come up with a name for the crocodile. It's just the god of Pharaoh. He ran out of crazy names like Mamakra and Libanon. Korash. Korash. Yeah. Ten is Abraham. In Egypt. I guess is the guy who's being sacrificed, right? Yeah, after laden with offerings. Altar. It seems to refer to the altar, right? Yeah. Um, but that's what he says, number four. I don't know. They're both in the kind of the same place. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the rest. I love number 12, which is the, essentially the floor. Rocky Yang, signifying expanse or the firmament over our heads. Uh, but in this case, in relation to the subject, the Egyptians meant it to signify Shaumau, to be high, or the heavens, answering to the Hebrew word Shaumau Him. I don't know what the hell he's talking about, other than the fact that he was taking Hebrew uh, at the time. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's actually one thing that uh, Mormons will throw at you. They'll say, you know, it's just amazing that these Hebrew words pop up that right. Joseph Smith knew. That I mean, really? How He's totally untrained. How, how does he know this stuff? Yeah. Well, he took a course from this guy um, who ended up taking his money. Anyway... The Egyptologist said that that's a customary representation of ground. Of course, they're standing <laughs> on it. Uh, why he thinks it's the firmament or anything above the head is uh, beyond yeah. me. Yeah, it's just craziness. It, it also goes on to say the word shalma is not Egyptian. <laughs> and the Hebrew word is badly copied. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Um, uh, the the hypocephalus is that just ridiculous. I'm going to skip that whole thing. Yeah. Facsimile three. So what we just talked about, I think, was facsimile one. Facsimile three. Joseph Smith thinks this is an Abraham uh, reasoning upon the principles of astronomy in the king's court, and he's actually sitting uh, on Pharaoh's throne, wearing Pharaoh's crown, and <laughs> teaching Pharaoh astronomy. Now, see, my family actually brought this up to me, and I looked at them and said, are you serious? You're trying to tell me that the Egyptians didn't know astronomy by this point? The people who had one of the greatest civilizations in the world and one of the earliest civilizations in the world didn't know astronomy until Abraham sat down there and taught them it? Really? Yeah. Uh, unbelievable. Un unbelievable. Anyway, um... <laughs> Those are the those are the facsimiles. If you want to stump them, you can ask them that, uh, and you could point out that there's absolutely no independent non-LDS verification, or even LDS with proper training. Even LDS Egyptologists won't back up their own prophet. Now the funny thing is, is these Mormon missionaries when they come to you, they will not know that. They the, won't because they're only nineteen or twenty years old. Yeah, and they won't know that the papyrus were actually recovered from instead of being burned up in the Chicago fire they were recovered they will not know that because that is something that the LDS church does not teach they don't like people knowing about it so if you ask them uh, well if you they won't know any of this yeah, stuff yeah you start talking to them about the facsimiles they will you know gloss over with what they've learned and then if you bring up well you know the original papyri were found and translated and they mean nothing that Joseph Smith said they their eyes will turn back like, huh? I don't know what you're talking yep. about. Be careful because they'll try to steer you into discussion about the actual book of Abraham. You want to keep the discussion on the uh, facsimiles. But speaking of the book of Abraham, <laughs> <laughs> if they really want to discuss it, uh, it has a, a few interesting passages uh, to do with racism. And the racism in the Book of Mormon and Pearl of Great Price, to me, is the smoking gun as far as it is a... Uh, a document that was written in the 1800s. It is a product of 19th century 
thinking. The authorship, and, yeah. yeah. So in the a Pearl of Great Price, you have uh, Moses uh, 7, chapter 7, verse 8. For behold, the Lord shall curse the land with much heat, and the barrenness thereof shall go forth forever. And there was a blackness came upon all the <laughs> children of Canaan, that they were despised among all people. So apparently, um, uh, he's talking about the children of Canaan, and God turned them black, uh, so that specifically so that they would be despised among all people. Exactly, and that is the reason why they didn't receive the priesthood. In the same chapter, uh, verse 22, and Enoch, you know, this is talking about the guy who's translated, I guess, who's taking yeah. grabs to heaven. Yeah. And Enoch also beheld the residue of the people which were the sons of Adam. And they were a mixture of all the seed of Adam, save it was the seed of Cain. For the seed of Cain were black, and had, had not place among them. So just for the fact that they have black skin, yeah, they are cursed. Pretty much they're gone. Yeah. Um, so the, the whole doctrine, which they never talk about before, at all now, about why the blacks were uh, prevented from having the priesthood, here is a discussion from Mormon Apostle Bruce R. McConkie. This is in uh, his volume called Mormon Doctrine, which I've actually brought up, and I've been told, well, that doesn't mean it's Mormon Doctrine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Forget about the fact that he was a, an apostle, which is the highest office you can hold, uh, second to president. And he, he titled it Mormon Doctrine, and it had to go through uh, the other apostles to be approved for publication. Forget about all that stuff. It doesn't actually reflect Mormon Doctrine. Yeah, yeah, it has nothing to do with Mormon Doctrine. This is the 1958 edition. This was before, 20 years before they gave blacks the, the opportunity to have the priesthood. On page 476, 477, he goes on to explain the whole doctrine. Those who were less valiant in, in the pre-existence and who thereby had certain spiritual restrictions imposed upon them during mortality are known to us as the Negroes. <laughs> That's 1958. Yeah. Negroes in this life are denied the priesthood. Under no circumstances can they hold this delegation of authority from the Almighty. Uh, Almighty? Uh, Almighty? Is that a first and last name? <laughs> <laughs> we have just figured out God's name. His name is Al Almighty. Get over here. <laughs> From the Almighty. Uh, and he cites Pearl of Great Price, Abraham 1, 20-27. The present status of the Negro rests purely and simply on the foundation of pre-existence. Along with all races and peoples, he is receiving here what he merits as a result of the long pre-moral probation in the presence of the Lord. So this is the, this is the doctrine. And bring this up. Because as far as I know, this is still the doctrine. Yeah. And if it's changed, you kind of need a revelation to tell you the, the change in the doctrine. And the Mormon church hasn't had revelation in a hundred years. Yeah. So. <laughs> they didn't even claim to. So you want to ask them about this. They won't know. Um, but they may have heard about it, because you hear about this in church, but they don't talk about this in public. Uh, uh, actually, they don't really cover this. About, really? Yeah, this, the, the Mormon Doctrine, the book Mormon Doctrine, I hadn't seen a copy of it until I was talking to you about it. I uh, had never even seen it. What they bring up in church... It's kind of embarrassing, because it was written in, like, say, in the 50s. Yeah. yeah. What they bring up in church is they have this, this really hoiky video of this black man in Africa who one day gets the impression that he needs to tune in his radio to general conference. Oh, my God. And as he's sitting there fighting with this radio... Because he only has a radio because he's, you know... He's in Africa African. and he's black. Yeah. So he's sitting there... It's and amazing. He, he can even work it. Yeah. I'm surprised he knew where the on button was. God. Did he have a bone in his head? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> no, they actually had him dress nicely. I mean, we're talking... Shirt, tie, everything. The gotcha. man's sitting in his home trying to listen to the radio in a shirt and tie. Gotcha. So he's sitting there, and it takes him like 45 minutes, I think the video said, to finally tune in. And that's when he <laughs> heard that blacks were able to receive the priesthood. And Thank God. That's thank what he's God. been waiting for his entire life. Yeah, that is what they talk about in church. They don't talk I about see. before. And all they say about the before is, of course... Well, the whites of the church weren't ready for the blacks to have the priesthood. Yeah. Well, there you have it. Uh, God prefers whites. Um, the doctrine is the old, uh, in the pre-existence, before we, we uh, came to this earth, we lived with God for a long, long time. And uh, based on our actions then, that's how we're placed on earth today. Mm -hmm. So clearly, if you were black, you didn't do a whole lot of good stuff. Um, and what I heard was, in the war in heaven... <laughs> I think we talked about this too. Yeah. And the war in heaven, a third of the host went with Satan. Yep. A third went with God or Jesus. And a third of them just kind of sat in the fence. Sat the fence. And yeah. they just refused to take part in it. That, the, the third who went with Satan became demons. The third who sat on the fence 
became black, and the, the guys who were really good became white. <laughs> this was the doctrine. Yep, yep. And sadly, it's amazing that anybody would believe that that sort of separation, that perfect separation a third, of a third, a third, a third, a third, a third, a third. A third. yeah. It's amazing. Um, so let's go in a little bit about the Book of Mormon and see what it has to say about skin color. All right, here we go. Nephi, 2 Nephi 5.21. And he had caused the cursing to come upon the Lamanites. E yea, even a sore cursing because of their iniquity. For behold, they had hardened their hearts against him, and they had become like unto a flint. Wherefore, as they were white and exceedingly fair and delightsome, that they might not be enticing unto my people, the Lord God did cause a skin of blackness to come upon them. Not only is God a total freaking racist here, <laughs> but he's making them black so that they won't be... <laughs> won't be attractive. They won't be attractive to the Nephites. Obviously, these people have never heard of jungle fever or... <laughs> My God. All right. Yeah. Uh, it goes on in the next verse. And thus saith the Lord God, I will cause that they shall be loathsome unto thy people, save they re shall repent of their iniquities. And cursed shall be the seed of him that mixes with their seed, for they shall be cursed even with the same cursing. And the Lord spake it, and it was done. So this is where the stuff from Brigham Young comes, saying, you know, a drop of, of uh, Negro blood, or uh, if you mix your seed with the black people's seed, then you're going to have the same curse. And, uh, you know, he would have rolled over in his grave in 1978 if he would have been able to uh, unfreeze him or, or, or bring him back from the dead. Uh, he would have probably stroked out. <laughs> well, see, the amazing thing to me is right here you have the entire Lamanite people being cursed because they turned away from God. So why is it you and I aren't getting darker? Well, I've noticed that both of us have um, gotten three shades darker since we started this podcast. <laughs> well, maybe your teeth, but that's because you don't brush. <laughs> this, is, this is their doctrine. So in the Book of Mormon, all the way through, the Lamanites... When they get better, their skin becomes lighter. lighter. When they become worse, their skin gets darker. It's totally racist. It's totally uh, 19th century thinking. And you know what cracks me up is the Mormons, they go around to the Lamanites or the people, Native Americans, those in South America and such, and they talk to them and say, we know your origins. You guys used to be white and delightsome, but you were cursed by God. But because... If you are righteous, you will turn white again and come back to God. You guys think we're kidding? Uh, and no one could think it like this? Uh, but let me read you Spencer W. Kimball's comments in the... <laughs> wait for it, wait for it, it's good. In the uh, General Conference in 1960. He was, at this time, I believe, an apostle. He later became the president of the church, and he was the one who... Uh, uh, so-called had the revelation in 1978 to, to, to give the blacks the right. Yeah. So, so here's here's quote Spencer W. Kimball, October 1960 General Conference. I saw a striking contrast in the progress of the Indian people today. The day of the Lamanites is nigh. For years they have been growing delightsome, and they are now becoming white and delightsome as they were promised. In this picture of 20 Lamanite missionaries. Fifteen of the twenty were as light as Anglos. Five were darker, but equally delightsome. <laughs> the children in the home placement program in Utah are often lighter than their brothers and sisters in the Hogans on the reservation. Oh, God. <laughs> At one... I'm not making this shit up. It's true. You can look it up. <sighs> At one meeting, a father and mother and their 16-year-old daughter were present. The little member girl, 16 sitting between the dark father and mother. It was evident she was several shades lighter than her parents. <laughs> oh, God. To me, that would just mean that a dark mom had an affair with a white dude. Yeah, it sounds to me like that. Uh, on the same reservation, in the same Hogan, subject to the same sun and wind and weather, these young members of the church are changing to whiteness and delightsomeness. One white elder jokingly said, and this isn't racist, I don't know what it is. <laughs> One white elder jokingly said that he and his companion were donating blood regularly to the hospital in the hope that the process might be accelerated. Oh, oh kiss my ass. God. This is a general conference that was distributed worldwide in 1960. Uh, truth be told, I've heard about this Unbelievable. when I was a child going through primary. And Unbelievable. Such. This was what I was taught going through primary, is that... These Native Americans were getting whiter 
as they yeah, became right. more. Because there's a prophecy that, um, you know, not, you know, once they turn back to God, that not several generations hence, they'll become white and delightsome like the rest of them. Yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Unless they're actually mixing with white people, then that makes sense on that account. Uh, in 1927, here's a, another conference message given by Elder Eugene J. Neff. He's referring to Hawaiian members. The first missionaries went from this section around to another little town on the east side of the island, and there they gathered in a grass hut, 100 people to hear the message of these strange white men. <laughs> As they all sat around the mat and heard the voice of this missionary from Utah, they were transfigured before George Q. Cannon, and he saw 97 of them become white, and <laughs> only oh. three of them remained dark. Oh. He did not understand. Oh, bullshit. Yeah. He did not know why it was three of them would remain dark and all the rest should become light. Huh, let me guess, because they didn't convert. He received a partial answer to this manifestation when it was learned that 97 of those people in the meeting at this time joined the church, became devout members, and three of them never did. Oh, my oh, God. Geez. It is said that they will become a white and delightsome people. They are delightsome at present, and I believe they are going to become white. They are growing whiter from year to year. I have said this to myself uh, and to some of my intimate friends that I thought the Hawaiian people would become white and delightsome through intermarriage. I do not know whether that is according to the doctrines of the church or not. It isn't. You shouldn't intermarry. No. But they have married the Oriental races and married white people on the islands to such an extent that today there are more half-castes than there are pure Hawaiians. Jesus Christ. Uh, bullshit. I lived in Hawaii. Bullshit. They must have gotten... Darker. They must have sinned since 1927. Yeah. I'm, I'm, let's let's call up the Hawaiian church over there and ask them what sins they've been keeping to keep their skin dark. Here's LDS writer George Edward Clark, um, Why I Believe, page 129. The writer has been privileged to sit at a table with uh, several members of the Catawba tribe of Indians, whose reservation is near the north border of South Carolina. That tribe, or most of its people, are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Those Indians, at least as many as I have observed, were white and delightsome, as white and fair as any group of citizens of our country. I know of no prophecy, ancient or modern, that has had a more literal fulfillment. <laughs> God Almighty. God! Why can't they actually see the racism in these statements? I mean, seriously, you cannot... Just oh, sit there. This is referring there. to us, juvenile instructors. So this went out to, to the kids, right, adolescents. Uh, yes. Uh, 26, uh, page 635. From this, it is very clear that the mark which was set upon the descendants of Cain was a skin of blackness. There can be no doubt that this was the mark that Cain himself received. Uh, in fact, it has been noticed in our day that men who have lost the spirit of the Lord, that's you and me, uh -huh. and from whom his blessings have been withdrawn, have turned dark to such an extent as to excite the comments of all who have known them. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, I get that all the time. I walk around and people are like, whoa, dude, when did you turn black? Yeah. <laughs> so um, those comments are great. They're, they, they, they tell you that um, the current leaders of the church who deny all this stuff, they're, they're giving you, they're selling you a bill of goods, yeah, right? It's just PR. If but you can't, you can't point that stuff out to them. But, but this stuff you can. Here is um, Alma. Alma. Alma? Alma. But it was the Almighty. It was Alma. Oh, Alma. <laughs> Shit. Alma. Alma. Uh, yeah. Chapter 3, um, verses 6, 7, and also verse 9. Uh, and the skins of the Lamanites were dark, according to the mark which was set upon their fathers. So, you know, when they show up, you can say, hey, can I borrow that Book of Mormon that you have? Because they always have one of these yeah, Book of Mormon. Yeah, they always, in fact, they will have one in their backpack to give to you to read. Yeah. Have, have them open up to Alma and read chapters 3, uh, chapter 3, uh, verses 6 to 7, and also verse 9. All right. Um, their skins were dark, according to the mark which is set upon their fathers, which is a curse upon them because of their transgression and their rebellion against their brethren, who consisted of Nephi, Jacob, Joseph, and Sam, who were just and holy men. And their brethren sought to destroy them, therefore they were cursed. And the Lord God set a mark upon them, yea, upon Laman and Lemuel, and also the sons of Ishmael and Ishmaelitish women. And it came to pass that whosoever did mingle his seed with that of the Lamanites did bring the same curse upon his seed. So ask them what that means. Yeah. Ask them, does that mean that these people are below us? Should uh, we continue having slaves because these people are cursed by God? They certainly can't, can't marry them. Yeah. Um, Jacob uh, chapter 3, verses 8 to 9. Oh, my brethren, I fear that unless ye shall repent of your sins, that their skins will be whiter than yours. <laughs> now, this, at this point, there should be a little backstory. Now, this is where the Lamanites, the dark people, actually started turning good. 
And then the Nephites, the white people, started turning bad. And so Jacob is going to the white, good, or bad people at this point, and saying, you have to repent, otherwise yes. they will turn white and we will turn black. Yes, <laughs> that is exactly what he's saying. Uh, in Second Nephi uh, 30, verse 6. Wait, 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 you didn't finish reading Jacob, come on. Uh, well, he says, Wherefore, I a commandment I give unto you, which is the word of God, that ye revile no more against them because of the darkness of their skins, neither shall ye revile against them because of their filthiness. Uh, but, of course, one follows the other. If you're filthy, your skin becomes dark. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and a lot of people will, they'll, they'll give you, like, that second verse, verse 9, and they'll tell you, we're not racist because, you know, we're commanded not to revile against them because of the darkness of their skins. But, of course, they're not telling you why their skins are dark. Um, or the verse above saying that, you know, if you don't repent of your sins, <laughs> your skins will be darker than theirs. Um, all right. So, Second Nephi 30, uh, verse 6. This is the prophecy that, you know, when they turn to God. Their scales of darkness shall begin to fall from their eyes. And many generations shall not pass away among them, save they shall be a white and delightsome people. Now, that has been changed since to pure and delightsome. Yeah. Yes, yeah, see, actually, uh, I have an ex-girlfriend who the reason why she didn't join the church is because of that passage. When she found out that in today's day and age that they had to go back and change the word of God, that obviously that couldn't possibly be the true church. To be fair, the, 18, the original, uh, what was it, 1827 edition of the Book of Mormon had white and delightsome. Joseph Smith himself changed it in, I believe, the third edition of 1840 to pure and delightsome. But that didn't take. <laughs> <laughs> so all the books up until 1981 had white and delightsome. And for some reason in 1981, they changed that back to pure and delightsome, hmm. uh, as Joseph Smith apparently uh, intended. Well, let's see. 1981 was three years after <laughs> right. the blacks received the priesthood. Hmm. I wonder why they would do that. <laughs> All right, moving on. Third Nephi 2, uh, verses 15 to 16. And their curse was taken from them, and their skin became white like unto the Nephites. And their young men and their daughters became exceedingly fair, and they were numbered among the Nephites and were called Nephites. So they turned to God. The curse was removed. Their skin became white. And, and suddenly they become attractive again. <laughs> God, so racist. You know, what I want to know is in 1978, apparently the curse was removed. How come there are still black people? How come all the black people who are waiting for the priesthood aren't white now? According to their own theology, their skin is black because of the curse. That's the mark of the curse. So why is the curse removed, but the mark is still there? Idiocy. It is absolute morons. Here. Maybe they're just not righteous enough. Maybe all of you black or dark-skinned Mormons out there really need to start repenting and doing your home teaching. It's amazing to me that this stuff is still, this is still in their scriptures. Yeah. They have to defend this. this. This is something they can't get away from because it's in their scriptures. So in Mormon, uh, chapter 5, verse 15 for this people shall be scattered, and shall become a dark, a filthy, and a loathsome people, beyond the description of that which hath ever been amongst us, yea, even that which hath been among the Lamanites, and this because of their unbelief and idolatry. So uh, clearly, you know, the more you sin, the, the blacker your skin becomes. The, the more righteous you are, the lighter your skin becomes. You know, I Apparently albinos are can do really, whatever they want. <laughs> really right. Because they can't get tan, right, and redheads. Uh, they can get more freckles, but they can't get darker skin. I, I gotta tell you, I they like, got it. They got it. They got it made. Good. They got it made. But I like. I would like to turn black because then you don't have to worry about skin cancer, except oh, yeah. around the lips and the fingernails. That's not true. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> that is not true. Oh. Um, <laughs> where did you get that? Actually, from a dermatologist. Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> That's why I thought it was so funny for this podcast. Uh, yeah. All um, right. Continuing. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm, I'm flabbergasted. As you should be. Uh, so, so those particular scriptures, um, and actually almost the entirety of the book of Abraham, where it talks about all this stuff, uh, they're still in there. They're still in the canon. Uh, they're, they are required to defend it. So, don't believe all this stuff that they say, oh, you know, we can give you eternal marriage and blah, 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 because that's what they're going to hit you with. Would yeah. you like to be with your family 
forever in eternity. That is their big selling point right there. Right. No other church offers the chance for you to spend eternity with your family. Of course, most people would say, well, why the hell would I want to do that? I know my family. That, that's a huge turnoff. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if they start harping on that, tell them to turn to section 132 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Uh, because they'll tell you about the new and everlasting covenant of marriage. Uh, that's actually plural marriage. And for the first, my God, 50 years, 60 years of the church, um, at least amongst the, from 1827, I guess, was that the first time he, he did Fanny Alger in the in the barn? Uh, probably. Um, his first plural wife, uh, 1827, he was teaching amongst the apostles, the high members of the church, that you needed to marry into plural marriage in order to get to the highest level of celestial kingdom. That became public in 1852 when Brigham Young had moved all the Mormons over to Utah, and they were in their own territory, and really the United States couldn't touch them. All the way up until 1890 when they issued the manifesto saying we're not going to do plural marriage anymore. But they still did plural marriages up to 1904 until the second manifesto. Uh, but that was doctrine of the church, and if you read it, it said it was given... In response to, you know, they were reading in the Bible about Abraham and the old patriarchs and marrying more than one wife. Uh, and so this was in response to that question. It is specifically plural marriage that is the new and everlasting covenant. It isn't, it isn't as they tell you, uh, um, one man to one woman. Yeah, completely different. And in fact, totally disingenuous. Covering plural marriage, I mean, listen to some of our previous podcasts where we talk about the manifestos that went out. The Mormons, the uh, little boys that come out here and the little girls, they don't know much, if anything, about that. And if you actually start questioning them about that, they will say, I'll get back to you on that one. And then they'll go, they'll flail about trying to find some answer by asking their bishops, their stake presidents. And more than likely, you will be told, or they will be told that you are somebody who is just there to tear down the church and they won't come yeah. back. And so if you say that, they may come back with, well, that's just the pretext of the revelation. But the actual revelation was one man and one woman. If that's the case, later on in the same revelation, uh, God tells Emma Smith that she will be destroyed if she does not accept this revelation. What does that mean in the context of one man, one wife? They're married, right? Uh-huh. They're married already. How could she not accept the revelation if it was just one man, one wife? God's telling her, Forget about all these uh, women that Joseph Smith is having relations with behind your back. I'm commanding him to do it. And if you don't accept it, you'll be destroyed and cut off from the Lord and go to hell. Yep. So to ask them how they explain that one. <laughs> you'll <laughs> well, get a bunch of dumb blank stares on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can ask, well, did it just pertain to her? Or <laughs> or does that mean everybody? Why would, why would, she's already married to Joseph Smith. Why, um... Why would God destroy her if she doesn't accept? Why would she not accept this revelation? I don't understand. Yeah, you know, actually, that passage is brought up, but it's brought up in, in Mormon church as a young child, I remember. Solely within the context of um, monogamy. Well, not only that, but in bringing up that she was refusing to do what the prophet and God wanted. Oh, That's how it's brought up. Whatever. Not the fact that she's sitting there going, why is my husband out there diddling all these women? Well, let's look it up. Hang on a second. Let's pause this here. Okay, so we got we brought up uh, section 132 here. And uh, I got to read yeah, the very first the sentence. Yeah, verse 1. Verily, thus saith the Lord unto you, my servant Joseph, that inasmuch as you have acquired of my hand to know and understand wherein I, the Lord, justified my servants Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as also Moses, David, and Solomon, my servants, as touching the principle and doctrine of their having many wives and concubines, too. Behold, and lo, I am the Lord thy God, and will answer thee as touching this matter. This whole revelation is in response to Joseph Smith's question about polygamy. Yeah. So now you move uh, later on, he tells them all about it, blah, blah, blah. Here's a new and everlasting covenant. And 52. 52 is where you actually get into Emma Smith, who obviously, as you read through this, was giving Joseph Smith some lip about him Definitely. going out with another woman. Let me start at 51. Oh. Verily I say unto you, a commandment I give unto mine handmaid Emma Smith, your wife, whom I have given unto you, that she stay herself and partake not of that which I have commanded you to offer unto her. I don't know what that is. Maybe he was trying to bribe her. He, maybe he said, hey, uh, why don't you take Brigham Young? 
No other woman will. Please take him. For I did it, saith the Lord, to prove you all as I did Abraham, that I might require an offering at your hand by covenant sacrifice. Wow, that's bizarre. 52. And let mine handmaid Emma Smith receive all those that have been given unto my servant Joseph, all his wives, uh -huh. and who are virtuous and pure before me. And those that's who are so not pure. pure and have said they were pure shall be destroyed, saith the Lord God. So basically the women Joseph is diddling, if they're not pure, will be destroyed. If they tell God. anyone. <laughs> <laughs> And I command mine handmaid, Emma Smith, to abide and cleave unto my servant Joseph, and to none else. Oh, for God's sake. So Joseph can have as many wives and, and uh, sex as he wants, with whoever he wants, but uh, Emma's got to stay with Joseph. Yeah, yeah, it sounds to me like an alpha male marking his territory. Yeah. But if she will not abide this commandment, she shall be destroyed, saith the Lord. For I am the Lord thy God, and will destroy her if she ab abide not in my law. Oh, my God. For, but if she will not abide this commandment, then shall my servant Joseph do all things for her, even as he hath said. And I will bless him and multiply him and give him unto an hundredfold in this world, of fathers and mothers, of brothers and sisters, houses and lands, wives and children, and crowns of eternal lives and eternal worlds. Isn't that great? And verily uh, I say, let mine handmaid forgive my servant Joseph his trespasses. Then she shall be forgiven her trespasses. It sounds like the Lord's stepping in and doing marriage counseling for him. Yeah, and it also sounds like the God of Joseph Smith is a dick. I mean, just a complete no, totally. dick. Totally. Um, so that's uh, specifically pertaining to plural marriage, polygamy. That revelation is about polygamy. It's not, as the church would have you believe, just about um, marriage lasting forever. No. No, it has nothing to do with that. In fact, it's all about plural marriage and that the wives, the first wives anyway, should accept the other wives. You period. just got to suck it up. Um, and I'm sure Emma was saying, well, if you're doing that, then I'm going to go out and have another, a bunch of other husbands. And uh, God says, nope, can't do that. Nope, you That's not fair. to him and only him. <laughs> it's not fair if you go out and have as much sex as you want. Joseph Smith is the only one who Absolutely can. not fair. Well, see, another question you should ask these people these uh, missionaries is, well, you have a doctrine and covenants. What what new doctrine has come out? Yeah, that's a good stumper. Um, you claim that you guys have continuing revelation. Why does the doctrine and covenants end? <laughs> Why isn't it continuing through? Why aren't we still getting prophecy written down right. as prophecy? Why is the last entry in the doctrine and covenants, I believe it's like 139, it's a dream by Joseph F. Smith. Uh, why have you not had first-person revelation to your prophets since, God, 1889, yeah. I think was the last yeah, one? we're talking more than 100 years. Uh, right. Um, how come we have general conference instead of continuing to publish these uh, revelations? Why do we not have continuing? You guys claim to have continuing revelation. Why... Uh, you even call him prophet, seer, and revelator. Mm -hmm. When was the last time he prophesied, saw, or revelated anything? And see, that's the thing is, they will actually turn around and more than likely say to you, well, that's what general conference is for. That's for them to come out and to tell us all the new revelations and then have us vote on it. Now, that's another stumping part. Why would these people have to vote on God's revelations? If God comes down and tells you to do something... And all the people say, oh, well, I don't, I don't want to do that. Do you really think God would be happy with that? So, therefore, the voting in church is just retarded. That whole process is idiotic. So, I'm God, and I give a commandment. And the prophet gives the commandment in general conference. The church says, no thanks. And then I go, damn it. Damn it, they didn't pass the vote. Maybe I should have lobbied Son more. of a... I mean, and it's the same thing for when one prophet dies and the next one comes forward. They have a vote. And I have never, ever, ever seen one person hold up their hand against the new prophet no. being voted in. No, I mean, the, the idea is that God kills off the ones he doesn't want and he um, keeps safe the one he does. And so the guy, the dude who's the oldest, who's been in the apostle uh, office the oldest, is going to be the next prophet. All right, so uh, another thing you can try to stump them on is the temple garments. This is the magic underwear. Um, yeah, in fact, around the nipples and the crotch <clears throat> are like magic words. And yeah, symbols. they they have uh, like Masonic stitching in there. Um, and I, I guess it's to protect your organs and your genitals, I suppose. Just your nipples. Well, those are important. I'm sure, especially men nipples. When they first came out, 
the garments went all the way down to the wrist and the ankles. Uh, and probably because that was the style, right? Everyone oh, was wearing much. clothing to the wrist and the ankles. Now, interestingly enough, during that time frame, there's actually stories about how, and it actually changes over time, about how these missionaries get into car accidents and such, and oh, yeah. they are scratched up everywhere where their garments didn't protect, but where their garments were, they were protected, not a scratch on them. Which seems to be another reason to keep the garments as long as possible. Yeah. Uh, but in, I believe, the 20s or the 30s, they um, instigated a change in the temple garments where they shortened the sleeves uh, down to uh, mid-bicep and the uh, underwear bottoms to, what, mid-thigh? You can get them in both, the full length or mid-thigh. Now, curiously enough is they didn't shorten them enough because... Mormons are supposed to hide their garments. They're not supposed to be out there for everybody to see, but they're just long enough that if anybody wears a short sleeve shirt, it can be seen underneath there. And the same thing with the neckline. So your attempts at hiding it are pathetic. Right. Um, so the question is, if God ordained the original garments, why were they ever changed? Does God care about current fashion? Or should he tell his people, like he always does, you should be a peculiar people? You should be apart from the rest of them. If they wear bathing suits or shorts or short sleeve shirts, then you will be wearing long sleeve shirts and you'll have to suffer for God. And people will know that you're Mormon and they'll ask you about it and it'll be a chance to witness to everybody else. Now, that's Why a... would God um, bow down to current fashion? Well, see, that's a huge that's thing ridiculous. right there. Because Mormons are told from the very beginning that people will look at them strangely because of their beliefs. That They are the peculiar and delightsome people of right. God. And so that is an excellent question. Why is it that the garments aren't out there for everybody to see? Why would God shorten them if he wanted people to know and not to hide your light under a bush? Correct. I think that they should just go running around in nothing but garments. Hey, I don't know if I want to see that with someone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, another one is actually one that came up during that missionary session that Charlie's wife got us into, where uh, these missionaries were trying to talk science to Charlie, which was absolutely hilarious to watch. And one of the comments that came up, and I've actually heard this from other religion, religions other than uh, Mormonism, but these, uh, <clears throat> these missionaries brought up that, of course, there's a spirit in the body, because the body has energy inside of it, and when the body dies, that energy doesn't go, or it goes somewhere. It doesn't just get destroyed. And therefore, that energy is the spirit. Charlie? You're killing me. <laughs> well, you're killing me with this crap. I mean, I, I, it is Mormon doctrine that you have a soul. Like your body yeah. and your spirit together are called the soul. And so when, when you die, your spirit leaves. And when you're resurrected, it's reunited with your body. And it's, it's brought back in perfection. If there is a spirit, science has been completely unable to, um, to test for it, to detect it. it. Now, the question is, you know, does, is science equipped to deal with supernatural stuff, right? No, but we can detect the effects of supernatural stuff, right? If, if uh, the spirit is actually what's moving your fingers <laughs> and it's what animates you, we should be able to detect that. Um, in other words, the interface between supernatural stuff and natural stuff, we should be able to detect it. Well, obviously we are, because the energy inside of our body is what it is. And, and you see, you know, they always define this stuff um, in terms of these vague nebulous stuff, like, what is a spirit? Um, it's energy. Well, we can detect energy. Well, okay, it's not really energy. It's not matter. And so then they start shifting to what it is not. Yeah. I'd like to hear someone actually tell me what a spirit is. Plasma. And not in terms of what is not. We'll be able to detect plasma. Yeah. We can tell. Uh, we can tell if there's a certain plasma not, content not that leaves your body when not you die. ectoplasm. Obviously, you haven't seen Ghostbusters. You're just throwing words out. I am. What is ectoplasm? I have no idea. Ask See, the Ghostbuster. They'll tell you a spirit. Well, it's not matter. It's not really energy. It's just this sort of transparent you know, bullshit. We'd either detect the spirit itself, and actually in one of these revelations, Joseph Smith says the spirit is nothing but finer-grained matter. You read that one? No, I haven't, but that's interesting. So, in that term, we ought to be able to... We've been down to quarks, and we haven't been able to tell anything that's spiritual. 
Um, well, actually, from what I understand, Jesus is the force that's holding all of our yeah. atoms together. Otherwise, the protons, which apart. are all, <laughs> which are all positively charged, would fly apart. This idiot doesn't know. This was a Jehovah's Witness tract. Um, <laughs> this idiot doesn't know about the strong nuclear force, which is at that uh, distance much stronger than the magnetic force. God Almighty! And the problem with bringing this stuff up, and the problem in that missionary dis discussion was they don't know enough science for me to even be able to argue with them. And therefore, you have to explain the yep. science to them before explaining why their views are false. You have to give them a mini scientific education. Um, and it's. Uh, a little frustrating, um, kind of the same thing when people come into the clinic and they say, oh, I've been doing some research on the internet and I think this is what I have. <laughs> well, uh, you know, you have to kind of give them a, a mini medical education uh, in order to tell them why they're wrong. And why they're retarded for looking at uh, themselves. <laughs> God. And, and so it's, it's kind of frustrating when you're talking to them. Any other Mormon doctrines that absolutely don't make sense? Or things that you can stump missionaries on. We're we're almost at the close. All right, I got I got one. This is more generally a Christian um, complaint that I have, but uh, specifically Mormon because they believe um, <clears throat> in Adam and Eve. They believe that Adam and Eve literally were here. They literally were commanded not to eat the apple. They literally took a bite out of the apple, and that <laughs> gave them knowledge. And uh, they um, then were cast out of Eden. So my question to Mormons and Christians in general is they didn't know the difference between good and evil before they bit the apple. They had to bite the apple in order to know the difference between good and evil. How can you punish someone when they do something that you think is wrong, but they don't know the difference between good and evil? It's like in other words, disobeying is why they were kicked out of the garden, right? That's true. How do they know before they bite the apple... Whether disobeying is right or wrong. <laughs> well, see, the interesting thing to this is this is the exact reason why you can't prosecute a mentally handicapped person to the full extent right. of the law. Right. This and is the, the exact same thing. These two were retarded. They were mentally handicapped before they bit into that apple. What moral right does uh, God have to punish, to them? punish them? I mean, why is it God didn't put down teachers to teach them slowly into knowledge instead of have, why would God have a tree like that out there? Wouldn't, shouldn't God have them eat the apple first so they know the difference between good and evil and then tell them not to eat the apple? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, how do you punish somebody who doesn't have enough knowledge or intellectual capacity to be punished for something that they've done? Yeah. I'd also ask them, the Mormon missionaries, Aren't they embarrassed that Joseph Smith um, swiped uh, the story of Paul with Alma the Younger? Aren't they embarrassed? Yeah. Um, you may also want to bring up archaeological evidence, or complete lack thereof, yeah. for the Book of Mormon. Where's your horses? Ask them if they believe that the Book of Mormon is literally true. Start with that. That's an important thing. Because they'll tell you, yes, it happened. It happened in the Americas somewhere, uh, and it's literally true. And they say, if that's the case, you mention horses in the Book of Mormon, but they went extinct, uh, <laughs> the pre-horses went extinct at about 11,000 B.C., right? Uh -huh. And then they were reintroduced uh, probably by uh, Christopher Columbus or the Europeans in the 1490s or later, right? So 15th century. But the Book of Mormon takes completely place in between those two times it's what 600 bc to about 400 a.d yep yep so right smack dab in the middle so why is why it there horses? there's no evidence of horses down there but the book of mormon talks about horses my god they mention uh elephants you know and they say oh that's clearly a mammoth but no <laughs> no the mammoths went died. extinct 10,000 bc um cattle and cows these are all stuff that joseph smith is familiar with but weren't here in the Americas uh, during the time where he's telling this story. Cattle and cows were introduced um, by the Europeans. Sheep mentioned in the Book of Mormon. Nope. Goats mentioned in the Book of Mormon. Swine. No. <laughs> mentioned the Book of Mormon. Barley and wheat. That's my favorite. Barley and wheat domesticated in Europe. And apparently all these Native Americans are growing them in the Book of Mormon time. No indication. We can find them in Europe. It's not all hard to find. It's all over the place. Now, that is one defense that they will bring up. 
Because something I heard as a child is that 95% of the earth has not been searched out by archaeologists for the evidence. And therefore, it is in that 95% that all of this evidence is hiding. But God's just hiding it until the proper time. Absolutely. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> until the pro when's the proper time aren't we living in the last days shouldn't all this stuff be revealed uh, 150 years ago yeah chariots wheeled vehicles um all over the book of mormon none have ever been unearthed none Not have ever one. been unearthed in the new world unknown in pre-columbian times they have a few toys that have little wheels but they never um, they never extrapolated that, that into you know they, they were brought by runners uh llamas they even have these rope bridges that there's no way in hell you can get a wheeled thing across, right? <laughs> but apparently massive battles. And of course, as Joseph Smith has grown up, he's being taught about the chariots and, and how useful they were in these battles in the West. Now, interestingly enough, some Mormons have heard the story about how over on the East Coast somewhere, somebody was uh, doing a test on the soil and they found massive, massive amounts of calcium. In the, in the soil that they said could not have been there unless a huge battle ensued and oh this God. was the bones of the dead When you people. hear this could not have happened unless, and then insert your pet explanation here, uh, immediately get skeptical because that's total bullshit. There's no other alternative explanation. Nope. Perhaps that it was um, calcite from like a seafloor or, you know, I mean, come on, carbon. I mean, we're talking... Tons of other explanations. Nope, it's because of a war. No, it had to be, had to be bones that um, dissipated into the soil. So many of them that it's dissipated all over God. this area for a massive battle. Steel and iron uh, are mentioned in terms of weapons, swords. They even mentioned uh, swords that had rusted. Uh, because they'll, if they're knowledgeable, they'll tell you, well, they used obsidian swords. And obsidian is really um, sharp. <clears throat> yeah, but uh, it also flakes, right? So yep. you can't really use it um, other than... Maybe ritual executions. Yeah, you can't do a, do a battle with uh, obsidian swords. Yeah, you end start up with your, whacking your, your eye. Both of you are getting exactly. hit with shards. Um, so steel, no evidence whatsoever. Not only of of mining, but of smelting all over the old world. Right? Yeah, they find um, it constantly over in Europe, but over here, no. He mentions the word scimitar, which is a scimitar, which wasn't even invented until after the Book of Mormon ends, right? I yeah. think the first time it pops up is 450-500 AD in Muslim cultures. Uh, Islam, isn't that when about yep. Islam started? Yep, that's about in Islam. Arabic cultures. Um, that curved sword, but... Uh, um, <laughs> nice. I don't know what that was. All right. uh, but it doesn't even exist. And that, that kind of goes along the same lines as the end of one of the passages, I think, in Alma, where he goes, Brethren, adieu. Well, yeah. French didn't even exist French at the time. French didn't exist at that time. So, yeah, that's another question. Uh, why is there French in the Book of Mormon? Yeah, that's a question. Ask them that. Um, the Book of Mormon details like coins, where they, yeah, where they exchange coins, coins, a monetary system. No, it's just a more common exchange. Uh, Mesoamerica were uh, cacao beans. <laughs> you get chocolate out of or coffee. It's yeah. awesome. Uh, Book of Mormon mentions silk. Silk was uh, an Asian moth. Uh, unknown to the Americas, of course, unless they had traveled over to Asia. Well, you know, uh, actually, uh, people who study science know that the DNA from the Native Americans has traveled across the sea from the Asian and the uh, those islands. Right. And so they, they have the knowledge of Hebrew and Egyptian written languages, right? Yep. Uh, but the only evidence we've ever um, found uh, for a written language were the Mayans. Now, interestingly enough... No resemblance to Reformed Egyptian. No, no. Interestingly enough, I would like to point out that my dad was talking about this very subject because uh, I believe it was uh, Mormon, uh, no, Captain Moroni. He took off his cape or whatever and wrote down about freedom, follow me, let's fight, and then walked through there waving this to all the people. And my dad looks at that and says, you know what? The people of that time, the Nephites, had to be well-educated. They had to know God about Almighty. writing. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to read this. Therefore, I love how you drive fictional uh, theories out of fictional <laughs> books. Therefore, yeah. God. So, if that is the case... You say, Dad, if your premise 
is flawed, doesn't matter how valid your argument is. Doesn't matter how how you know. Yeah, very true. You, you cannot argue from false premise. False premise. Look at it this way: we still have copies of the Iliad and the Odyssey, which were at the same time that the Book of Mormon supposedly happened. Correct. So if if these people were that literate, where are their writings? Yeah. The Iliad and the Odyssey were probably written down in 700 BC. So the, that it's, that's even predated. worse. Yeah, predated. It, because it predates it by about 300 years. Max. Book of Mormon was written all the way up until about 400 AD, which, by the way, um, in this massive, the, the Book of Mormon is pretty massive. Was it like 500 pages? Yeah, it's pretty. Can you good. imagine writing that on gold yeah. or brass Carving and carrying that around out. with you? Jesus Christ. How thick would that have to be? Otherwise, you would have been a magnifying You couldn't glass. carry it. Yeah. You could, certainly couldn't carve it with their tools that they had on hand. No. Um, in addition to the language argument, none of the language um, that were found um, derived from Hebrew or Egyptian. Not surprising. Yeah. Also, the linguistic studies on the evolution of, of spoken languages in the Americas um, agree with archaeological evidence uh, that the Homo sapiens first arrived you know, I think um, at the end of the last ice age, about 15,000, 10,000 BC, um, instead of the time frame given the Book of Mormon, which uh, lands, I think the, the Nephites arrived in 400, but there were like the brother of Jared, the Jaredites in the Book of Ether, they're around 2,500 BC. Yeah. <laughs> God. A little bit which of trouble. They there. say is around what? The Tower of Babel. <laughs> 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 because isn't one of them like. They they left from the Tower of Babel or something like that and came over here, um, twenty five hundred BC. Amazing because Egyptian language predates twenty five hundred BC. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I think we've pretty much driven that into the ground. The Book of Mormon also mentions windows. For God's sakes, windows, which are what eleven hundred A.D. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, back then the Nephites were smarter. They were all literate, as I've just proven <clears throat> with my dad's argument. And we find no evidence of windows, but. We, we didn't even go into genetics in the Book of Mormon. We may no. spend an entire podcast on that, but there is no... The genetic evidence points to an Asian, um, Asian descent. descent instead of a Hebrew descent. And so what you see is, clearly, the Book of Mormon, um, which states very plainly in it that, that this land was kept secret from all other people so that uh -huh. it could be the promised land for these Hebrews. Um, but they'll say, well, they arrived in their other Native Americans there, right? Because we have evidence that there were. And so that forces them to narrow in their, you know, the possibilities. However, sticking to the Book of Mormon, this land was kept secret. Uh, absolutely. So they're, they're overturning their own Book of Mormon by saying that. But now they'll say, you know, well, the genetic study supports, you know, because there's no genetic link between uh, Hebrews and uh, Native Americans. And they'll say, well, you know, it's a sort of limited model because there were so many people already there. They just kind of interbred, and so it was such a small. Yeah. So that's, forget about the hundreds of thousands and millions of people who were fighting each other. Yeah. It was just a small, just a small group. Yeah, a small group. Anyway, yeah, we've we've pretty much driven that in the ground. Anything else you can think of to embarrass, stump, or otherwise humiliate Mormon I'm missionaries? I'm pretty sure we've covered quite a bit to embarrass them. I mean, just the racism on its own leg is embarrassing enough. Right. Remember those verses, point them out, and have them read them to you. And then ask them if they literally believe in the Book of Mormon. Yep. That, and that why, much do it. why is your skin white if you're not Mormon? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why is it if you're not Mormon, aren't you turning dark? And why is it everybody in the world isn't dark for not following the, uh, the true church and then turning lighter as we start following it? Why is it God Absolutely. is only choosing to punish this particular person? Why can only Spencer W. Kimball and other Mormons see the see Hawaiians the get lighter <laughs> and the Native yeah. Americans? Why are they the only people who are seeing this trend? God, that's so ridiculous. All right, next week, what are we doing? Still trying to no get a idea. hold of a female. No idea what we're going to do next week. All right, uh, we'll see you then.